Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out John O'White or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader, and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult, and, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to episode 26 of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Joe Folkman. Uh, Joe is the president of Zinger Folkman and uh, as a a PhD is a co-founder and president of that firm, really specializing in leadership and organizational development. I'm Uh, personally really looking forward to today's conversation. He is a highly acclaimed keynote speaker at conferences and seminars the world over. His topics focus on a variety of subjects related to leadership, feedback, and individual and organizational change. As one of the nation's renowned uh, psychometricians, uh, his extensive expertise focuses on survey research and change management. He has over 30 years of experience consulting with some of the world's most prestigious and successful organizations, public and private. A distinguished expert in the field of measurement, his unique surveys and assessments are designed utilizing a database comprised of over a million assessments on over 110,000 leaders. Because these tools specifically address critical business results, facilitating development and change is the main focus of measurement efforts. He is the author or co-author of 10 books, Turning Feedback into Change, Making Feedback Work, Employee Surveys That Make a Difference, The Extraordinary Leader, the Handbook for Leaders, The Power of Feedback, The Inspiring Leader, How to Be Exceptional, Speed, How Leaders Accelerate Successful Execution, and The New Extraordinary Leader. Joe and his family reside at the base of the, and I'll just check my pronunciation of this in a second, Joe, the Wasatch Wasatch Mountains in Orem, Utah. Uh, Joe, it is wonderful to have you on the podcast. I'm glad I got that correct. Uh, Welcome. Thanks for coming on. Well, it's great to be here, Jono, and uh, the the Wasatch Mountains is that's where the 2002 Winter Olympics took place. So, ah, <laughs> yes, okay, remember that. Okay. <laughs> that's helpful because I do <laughs> my uh, geography is definitely one of my uh, one of my weak points, but my strength with geography is that I I love sport, so I do tend to know most locations around the world based on sporting teams or events. Um, <laughs> definitely when it comes to, um, I, I'm a big uh, soccer fan, so I tend to know most of Spain and uh, and other places only based on the soccer teams that I know from there, to be honest. So, okay. um, Joe, it's great to have you on here. Firstly, um, just tell us a little bit about uh, Zinger Folkman and your footprint. Just before we, we started recording, you talked about um, uh, there, that there's some, you know, you have some partners down under here in Australia as well, but give us a bit of an overview of Zinger Folkman. Well, we're a leadership development firm and uh, our headquarters are in, in the United States, in the state of Utah, That, but we have uh, partners all over the world. We have about 25 partners all over the world. Yep. who work with us and use uh, our research and our products and 
we have uh, partners in Sydney and in Melbourne. And um, actually, <laughs> that was the the last international trip I took before the pandemic. I was in Sydney for oh, wow. 10 days with our partners. There. Yeah, so it's a good memory. It's a wonderful memory. And we came back well and then went into hiding. So that was That's fun. Right. <laughs> and have you um, have you been up uh, where I'm based, up in Brisbane in Queensland before when you've come to Australia? I have not, and and uh, but I want to. So, Jono, you know, an invitation would be appreciated. <laughs> well, the invitation's there. Would love uh, would love to show you around Brisbane. I am very biased, but it is a particularly beautiful part of the world. Um, so, yeah, definitely would love to. Um, once the borders are, and they are starting to open now as we record this. Um, thank you for giving us mm. a, a bit of an overview. I'm interested, and I know the listeners will be interested in your story. Uh, Joe, so feel free to go back as far as you want and, and tell us a little bit of your story, how you, uh, I guess, became the leader you are today and ended up doing what you're doing. Well, I, I, when I was in graduate school, um, they gave me an option of of learning two languages or taking computer science, math, and statistics courses. <laughs> and uh, the, the languages seemed not to be very helpful because the guys that took them would forget them, you know, right after they took the test. So yeah. I, um, I took computer science, math and statistics, and I was always curious about measuring attitudes, measuring behaviors. Mm. And I, I just was so lucky to get an opportunity to work with some of my uh, professors at that point. And they had created one of the first 360 degree assessments. Yeah. And uh, they hired me to go out and sell it to people. <laughs> and I, yeah, it was, and I remember at that point, I'd sit down with, with, uh, you know, HR departments or training and development departments. And I'd say, you know, we have a new tool to help managers develop. And what it is, is it's a feedback survey that collects feedback about managers from the direct reports. And then they go, what? <laughs> you, you think that direct reports can give feedback to their manager? That's a crazy idea. That, that's not a good idea. It's, you know, direct reports receive feedback from their manager. So, uh, you know, what's interesting, uh, that was uh, many years ago. That was 50 oh. years ago. But, um you know, lots of things have changed. And what we found is, is that surprisingly, um, leaders really don't know if they're the best leader in the world or the worst. Wow. <laughs> they have no clue. <laughs> and so uh, this whole assessment process, I mean, and, and so through the years, um, we uh, had a several different firms that, that we created. And and eventually, um, we sold a firm we had called Novations Group, and then I became part of a roll-up of 22 different training companies where I met this fellow by the name of Jack Zinger. Yeah. And Jack had had a company called Zinger Miller, which was a very successful firm that he had sold a few years before that. And when we got together, um, 
my partners said, why don't you annoy Joe enough that you and him, he can write a book. And, and so <laughs> uh, Jack was not that annoying, but he, he kept pestering me about our research. And we eventually wrote a book called The Extraordinary Leader. Hmm. And um, so for, for 25 years, I had given people 360 feedback. And the message that I gave them was, well, you know, look at the feedback and figure out why you're such a loser, <laughs> you know, because the, the process was essentially, and, and Jonah, you've probably done this when you give people feedback, they're always looking for what's wrong, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, and, and I had encouraged that. I thought that was the logical thing to do. Uh, but uh, when Jack and I got this data, we started fooling around. We had lots of data, thousands of leaders, and we started to look at the impact of strengths. And uh, it was amazing to me because when we looked at it and we, we looked at leaders with no strengths, their average effectiveness was the 34th percentile. Wow. And we were measuring people, uh, you know, the, the, these leaders on about 16 competencies at that time. So then we'd look at if they had one strength, and we defined a strength as a competency at the 90th percentile. And we found that if, if a leader had one strength, if they did one thing well, their average effectiveness rating went from the 34th percentile to the 64th percentile. It almost doubled. If they did one thing well, and they, we measured them on 16, right? And so, and then we found if they did three things well, they were at the 81st percentile. And uh, the, the insight that we got out of that was in 70% of the cases, a leader is better off uh, working on building a strength rather than fixing a weakness. That that's a... That's a that's a better approach. Now, in thirty percent of the cases, we found some leaders, and, and Jonah, you've probably met some that have something we call a fatal flaw. Yeah. <laughs> a fatal flaw is it's different than a weakness. It's it's something that's terrible. Have you ever met that kind of a leader? Yeah, yeah, I I, I know what you mean. Where it's it's not just um, don't focus on that. Focus on your strengths. It's like if you don't fix that, it's gonna it's gonna um, it's going to make everything else untenable. It will. And, and so, but anyway, that's, that's uh, Jack and I kind of wrote that book and created a new approach to 360, one that said, you know, most of the time leaders ought to focus on and develop a strength. And then we had to create a, a fair amount of new uh, research on how to build a strength. But that's, uh, we started this, we eventually we uh, left the, the roll up and started a firm called Zinger Folkman. Um, Jack just had his birthday and he turned 90 uh, oh, wow. on the 13th of November. Uh, but he is, he, he works harder than me. So, you know, what can I say? He's, he's, he's really got a lot of energy. That's incredible. Uh, and one of the things I'm uh, really excited about in this conversation, Joe, is uh, is chatting about your uh, the new book that you're writing. So I appreciate you giving us a bit of background to um, 
to your organization, but tell us about this, uh, this book that you're working on at the moment. Well, I got interested in, in, um, I've measured a lot of things and I remember several years ago, uh, one of my, uh, clients came to me and said, you know, our CEO is interested in bold leadership. <laughs> and I go, what's, what's bold leadership? And he, he sent me a note. It had, you know, like seven or eight things that, that would describe a bold leader. And I created an index. It was, it was composed of seven items to measure this, this thing called bold leadership. And, and I, you know, it was very predictive. It, it made a lot of sense. And, and, and it really was a good index. But um, after a while, I got thinking, what's the kind of the smallest behavior that makes the biggest impact? You know, I called it my Manhattan Project. Uh, you know, the Manhattan Project is where they uh, created the atomic bomb, you know, because yeah. an atom's really small, but it has, you know, it makes a, a significant, uh, a significant explosion when you, when you break it. Yes. Um, so I wondered if there wasn't, there was something like that in leadership, you know, and, and what I found was trust. And the interesting thing with trust is that if you go to any continent, any country and ask people one question, right? A, a, a random set of people in the nation, one question. And it says, you know, can most people be trusted? <laughs> That's the question. Yeah. Um, you can predict with, with how the percentage of people that say yes, you can predict the GDP of that country, <laughs> right? Wow. And, and I think that's fascinating. That's fascinating because if, if, if you go to um, some places in South America where only 6% of the people say, yeah, you, most people can be trusted, uh, their economy is in the toilet. And if you go to Sweden, where 60% of the people can answer that question and agree to it, uh, their economy is much better. In the U.S., it's about 40%. Australia is about that same level. 40 or 50 percent. But with that one question, and so I, I got very interested in trust and what it is that, that creates, uh, how does a leader build trust? What are the factors that influence whether a person is trusted or not trusted? Um, I did the analysis on that, and what I found was this is, a, this is about 100,000 leaders yeah. Uh, where we looked at the data and we found there were three factors that affected whether you're trusted or not. And the three factors are, and, and I, this is the order I thought they, they would predict. Number one was consistency, right? So if you do what you say, you say what you do. I mean, that for me was probably the biggest thing affecting trust that I thought. Yeah, sure. Before I did the research. Yeah. Are you consistent? You know, if you say you're going to be there, you're going to be there. Uh, the second thing was expertise. 
I, I mean, when we go to our physician and they're wearing a lab coat, a white coat, suddenly we sort of say, oh, you, you obviously know what you're doing because you're wearing the white coat, right? <laughs> you don't know. But, but if it, it's interesting if your spouse or your partner says you need to you know, quit eating so much sugar, you go, ah, oh, I'm okay. But if your doctor says it, yeah. You say, really? <laughs> you know? True. I mean, yeah. you, you kind of listen to them in a different way. And so we trust experts. Um, I have a mechanic and I trust this guy. And, you know, I take my car in and, and sometimes he says, ah, it's okay. We don't need to fix that, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is interesting. Uh, but other times he says, no, we need to fix But I trust him. Um, the third thing that we found that, that affects trust is relationships. Mm. We trust people we like, we distrust people we don't like. Mm. Now I did the research and the research revealed something interesting. The number one factor affecting whether you trust people or not is relationships. <laughs> wow. Right? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's actually more important than consistency. And, you know, as you think about it, uh, and, and the little old ladies that get ripped off by these, these old, old people, or these, these, uh, these salesmen that come into their house and they, they, they talk to them a lot and then they take their life savings, you know, and rip them off. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, you think, gosh, it was all about relationship, Right. And so that's the number one factor that affects trust. The second one actually is consistency. And the third thing is um, expertise. But in the research, what I found is, is that you didn't need to be perfect at all three. In fact, if, if you scored at the 60th percentile on all three of those characteristics, trust would be at the 80th percentile. But there was something about doing all th all three things well, or reasonably well, not incredibly well, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, as you think about, uh, Jono, in your work, uh, in your firm, uh, I'm sure you're very good at relationships, at, at getting to know people and building bonds with people. That's very important. Yeah. Uh, but... I'm sure that expertise is also very critical that, that yeah, people yeah. sort of trust what you say. And then the third thing, the consistency. And, and if you think about those three things, that's they, those are the three factors that build trust. That's uh, I, what I love about that is that once you unpack it, you can see that it does make sense. That that's in, that's incredible. I'm still, um, I'm still sort of uh, captivated by that statistic around GDP and uh, that question around trust being linked. I think that that's just blown my mind. Um, I, I'd love, I'd love your your thoughts, Joe, for uh, a leader listening who's going, oh well, I feel like I feel like people might know that trust is important, but one of the challenges I hear from leaders is I don't know what to do about. Um, building more trust. I just don't know how to change that. For these three different areas, for consistency and expertise and relationships, what advice would you give to leaders around anything they can do really practically to, um, to grow in each of these different areas? 
Well, let's start with relationships. Um, there, there is a belief with with some people that that I, I shouldn't be too close to people. <laughs> you yeah. know, that yeah, yeah. familiarity. Does this is this something in Australia they say familiarity breeds contempt? Yeah, yeah, that is a saying here as well. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's this idea that it, you know, if if you're too close with people. And, and, you know, it, it's like they'll take advantage of you and your judgment will be barred and, and, and all these other things. And, and I have no data for that. I mean, I, I've, I've looked at it. I've looked at whether, you, you know, if, if leaders have better relationships with people, are they worse leaders? They're always better leaders. Uh, mm-hmm. Improving relationships is easy. Uh, it, it has to do with taking the time, listening to people and making those short connections with people. Now, mm-hmm. a lot of people think that it'll take a lot of time to build relationships. And of course, managers don't have a lot of time, right? Yeah. So they're guarding their time. And so part of it is is managing those brief interactions. Mm-hmm. And the way you do that is yeah. when somebody comes into their office and, and, and you realize, oh boy, they're, they're gonna dump a load here. You look up and they say, can I talk with you? And, and you, you say, yes, but I only have 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what I've found is, is if you'll give people a time frame to, yeah. to dump their load, right? They'll yeah. do it. They'll yeah. do it most of the time. And sometimes you have to hurry them along a little bit. And, 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 but, but if you listen to them and if you kind of listen really well and, and then have empathy for what they're saying, uh, that's important. Now, right now, with what's gone on with the pandemic, I think relationships are critical. Yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, one of the things that happened in the pandemic is, is that that idea of balancing work with relationships, it, it, before the pandemic, it was, well, 60% on work, 40% on relationships, and it needed a shift to 60, 40, uh, 60 on relationships and 40 on work sure. uh, in, in the pandemic. Uh, in the U.S., we're having something called the Great Resignment. <coughs> Excuse me. And <clears throat> in the month of August... We've had uh, about 4 million people quit their job in the United States yeah. <laughs> in one month. That's right? And I, I don't know if they're doing that in Australia, perhaps some of them, but <clears throat> they blame a lot of that on on the pandemic and on people's dissatisfaction with their job and and they're them kind of wanting a better job, a better thing. So relationships are critical. So that's the first thing I would talk about. The second thing is consistency. So here's what happens. Uh, you're sitting in the office as a manager. Uh, your direct report comes into your office and they say, how am I doing? And you look up at them and you say, great, you're doing great. Are they doing great? <laughs> I mean, because what that, person just heard is hey i'm in line for a promotion you know yeah (laughs) you know yeah that i i might be the next ceo boy i'm doing great um so 
every manager I know wants to be Santa Claus, right? They, 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 they write checks they can't not cash, right? So we make promises we cannot keep. And over and over again, I, I sit down with leaders where we've done 360 assessments and, and, and they, they have low scores on honesty and integrity. And they, I never tell a lie. Yeah, but do you, do you kind of say things to people like, oh, I'll be to this meeting and then you never show up or, or, or you're doing great and you're not doing great? Yeah. I mean, you, you, this is so common. And so that is the consistency barrier that a lot of people face is they, they, they are easy to say, I'll do that when they don't look really closely at what they're promising to do and say, you know, do I really have that time? Can I really do this? Or they tell people they're doing better than they are rather than being honest with them. Right. So that's that's the consistency part and that's the part where you know no they're not telling ball-faced lies except they're saying things they don't do yeah yeah the third thing is around expertise and the reality here is we don't have to be geniuses and we don't have to know everything but leaders managers need to know their job well they need to be able to do their job even the parts that when we went home from the pandemic, we discovered we don't know how to do that, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, sure. And, and the, yeah, because, you know, I would just throw it over to my assistant or do that, you know, I'd have other people do it. I mean, we've taught people to delegate, but there's so many aspects of our job that, that we're not up to speed with. Now, you know, we found that, that we, we measured technical expertise in managers and and we found that if if a leader uh, you know and you can find this very strong correlation between age and the perception of technical expertise but but it right now every job is expecting people to be up to date on technology and how to use technology and how to leverage technology and we found that older leaders are out of date. They, they don't know, and, and they're not trying to learn. A, a few years ago, I, I ran into this, this v, vice president, HRVP, and I asked him to, to uh, well, I asked him some questions, and then I said, well, I'll send you an email. And so I sent him an email, and it was about, you know, 48 hours before I got a reply, and I, I, I called his secretary and said, well, I, I, I just sent him a quick message. Uh, why did it take two days to get a reply? And he says, well, what he does is he prints out all his emails. He goes home at night. He writes an answer to the email on, on a piece of paper. He gives it to me. And then I type the answers the next day. Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> you go, oh, boy, is this, is this guy living in the Stone Age? <laughs> <laughs> you must have fallen off your chair in, when you heard in, that. <laughs> you know, the, in the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, there was this group in Europe called the Leadites. Mm. And and they were afraid of the automation of the, of you know, of the clothing 
textile business. And so they, 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 they got together and they, they went in and ruined all the equipment that this organization had bought. And, and that's, that's where we get the name Leadite, but that, that, uh, that's a name that seems to fit people today. <laughs> um, can I ask so you those a question? are the three things. Yes, yeah, I, I wanted ahead. to ask you. I've got I've got a few questions. I think it's uh, I'm excited uh, to 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 chat about uh, this, Joe, and and it's it's um, I'm just telling you, I'm really enjoying the chance to um, just to pick your brain and and hear your uh, your wisdom around these different topics. What about expertise for young leaders? Because you said that there's a correlation between age and um, and people, I guess, assuming technical expertise. But is there any area, yeah. is there anything around expertise that you've seen from the data that young leaders, you'd encourage young leaders to grow in? Well, uh, what, what usually happens uh, with young, young, well, young people, and, and sometimes they're leaders and sometimes they're not. But as you start your career, um, you know, when you first get a job, you ask lots of questions and, and, and that's good because yeah. uh, that's how you learn. And, and then you, you, you get an assignment, you get a specialty. And, and what people love to do is go deep and narrow, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the, they, they turn over every stinking rock, you know, they, <laughs> they become the world's expert on this very, very narrow, narrow thing. Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, if we ever hit that very, very narrow thing, boy, they, they have all the answers, but one of the things that happens and, and, you know, one of the things that what people value in organizations is where people have more breadth. Now, you can have a good career staying very, very narrow. Um, I remember I was with an oil company once and I was going through uh, the exploration department and I was trying to figure out, you know, what everybody did. And I saw two names on the, the, the list of employees and I said, well, what do these two do? And <laughs> the manager says, they file blueprints. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> I mean, is that a job? And it, does it take two people? <laughs> and they said, well, the reality is, um, is we don't really have anything for them to do. But this was a privately held oil company and they're good friends with the owner. And, you know, we, we just kept them around and they file blueprints and get coffee and stuff like that. Um, well, as you think about that, you know, they were narrow. They they actually knew, you know, how to find oil, you know, using the old methods. But the digital, they didn't ever learn the digital technologies. And so one of the, the things that, that I, I've seen is that this, this and, and the motivation to be narrow is you can be the world's expert. You can be the expert in the firm on this narrow thing. Yeah. But the value is is in broadening and and it's it's not knowing that one thing but it's knowing five things and and it's broadening yourself so that's one of the things that can happen we did find in our research that 80% of the younger employees were you know at the 80th percentile on technical expertise or higher so 
they 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 tend to be very good at it but that narrowness can you know can pigeonhole you in a career as you think about it and and so you start to look for opportunities to broaden to 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 bring into other things and and to kind of learn some other issues and 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 ideas I love that. That's that's really great advice. Uh, I want to go back to consistency and the leader who looks up from their desk in the middle of a urgent <laughs> project and says, "Yeah, uh, yeah, you're doing great." To that question, "How am I going?" Um, I, I see right. this so often. I, I I hear I see leaders. You know, I sit across from leaders and their shoulders slump and they go, "Yeah, I know I do that. I I need to give more honest feedback, but I, I'm afraid of being sort of the tyrant." boss um how how have you seen that particularly that gentler personality uh sort of leader how have you seen people really embrace giving honest feedback and and being consistent so they don't over promise are there any tips that you've uh from what you've seen where leaders have really been able to grow into that and and get better at giving people honest feedback let me give you two answers to that um one is um I, you know, my, my partner, Jack, he, he used to work for this fellow. And, and, uh, when people come in and say, how am I doing? Or, you know, what's my performance appraisal? Uh, that manager would always say, you know, I want to give you a 10, but I can't. <laughs> and, and then he'd ask, would you like to know why? And, and that opens up the second part of this. Um, so, so here's the problem in most organizations. We think that the role of managers is to give feedback, and we think the role of direct reports is to receive feedback, right? Mm, yeah. Uh, and so the, the managers are supposed to tell you what's wrong, and the employees are supposed to shut up and listen. Uh Every piece of data we gathered on your preferences for giving positive, negative feedback points to a couple of facts. The first fact is managers think it's their job to tell people what's wrong, to give negative feedback. And they believe that a good manager does a lot of that, right? Mm. Yeah. Good managers give a lot of corrective feedback. And when we asked them, uh, you know, if they had a preference for giving positive feedback, we found that over 45% of them would avoid giving positive feedback. So they preferred, 66% preferred giving negative feedback, but avoided giving positive feedback. Talk about working for a curmudgeon, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. uh, now, Now, it's drilled into their heads that that's the best thing. So here's our research. We measured a person's, a leader's preference for giving positive negative feedback. We merged that data, their preference, with 360 assessments on their overall leadership effectiveness, their ability to give feedback, and their their ability to develop others. And what we found is, is those leaders that had a strong preference for giving negative feedback and avoiding positive feedback were rated significantly more negative in terms of their ability to give feedback, their ability to develop others, and their overall leadership effectiveness. 
this thing, they, they were doing the job they thought they were supposed to do, and it, were hurt, it was hurting them. Um, now, if you look at some interesting research on marriage, there's, there's some interesting data that suggests that marriages tend to be stayed, marriages tend to stay together when the couple has a ratio, we call it the magic ratio of five to one. And this is a, a research by the name of John Gottman. And what Gottman found out that he, he would get a couple together and then he, they'd just count the, the interactions and they'd say, is that a positive or a negative, positive or negative? And they found that if the, if, if the ratio was five to one, five positive to one negative, that couple would stay married. <laughs> but, but anything less. Now, as you think about that, and, 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 you know, well, there's a difference between working for somebody and getting divorced. I get that. But if you think about that in this research that we've done, that, that negative feedback affects how people perceive you as a leader. Here's my suggestion to these leaders, you know, when people come in and they have a hard time. I would think that if you have an employee that 90% of the time they do, they do the right stuff and 10% of the time they mess up, that your ratio for giving feedback ought to be nine positives to one negative, right? <laughs> yeah, true. And so one of the things we've been saying to, to organizations and to people is to say, you know, we, we believe that managers can be very much more effective giving more positive feedback. And by doing so, it puts you in the position to provide some corrective feedback. And if you ask me what's the best way to give corrective feedback, I think that manager that said, I'd like to give you a 10, but I can't. Would you like to know why? <laughs> it's the perfect formula. Yeah. Because here's the interesting thing. When you ask for feedback, when you say it's okay for somebody to give you a negative feedback, your attitude about receiving it changes. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, I think that, that little line, I would love to give you a real positive thing, but I can't. Would you like to know why? That, that could make you a much, and, and, and you know what? They'll always say yes. <laughs> And then you tell them and, and they'll, I mean, they'll, they're, they're more likely to listen and less likely to disagree. Yeah, that's. Anyway, that was a very long answer, Jono, to a very simple question. I'm sorry. No, it's a great answer. Oh my goodness. I love the, uh, what you mentioned about John Gottman and how you linked it to the, uh, that idea of telling or telling leaders, if you will give more positive feedback, you are putting yourself in a position to be able to uh, to give in a really effective, long term way for the relationship. Corrective feedback that is such a powerful concept. Oh, yeah, and it amazing. wasn't five to zero, was it? It wasn't no right. negative. It was five to one. Yeah. You know, and in the five, I, you don't need to do five, but but you know what what 
what you do when you give positive feedback is you you create a relationship where that other person doesn't think you're out to get them, yeah. that you have their best interest at heart, right? Yeah, and then, right. you know, I mean, I mean, if somebody gives you, if you think somebody has your best interest at heart and you tell them something that can make them, they'll listen. If you think they're out to get you, then you're just going to brush it off, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you pretend to listen, but you won't. 100%. Uh, well, Joe, I can't help but ask a couple more uh, questions because I'm just enjoying this conversation so much, and I love your, I love your focus on research and data, and I get really excited about that because I I, I love uh, data driven sort of leadership. So, first question, and I haven't I haven't prepped you for this at all, so we can uh, we can always edit this out if I, if I catch you too completely off guard, but I'd. I'd just love to know in your sort of time looking at all this data, all this research, so much, 110,000 leaders and millions of, of different data points, um, just want you to think of what's one thing that, that really, really surprised you? Uh, one piece of data, one trend that sort of took you, it really took you by surprise then and still to this day, it sticks in your mind as something where you thought, I had no idea that would be uh, that would be such a significant indicator in that area. Does anything come to mind? Well, John, you know, this is pretty bad, but, you know, I'll talk about the research I was doing today because <laughs> <laughs> it's still, it still surprises me because it's so interesting. So, you know, you think about two skills as a leader, right? Two skills that are really critical, but they they have the same end end objective, but they're opposite ways of doing things. And 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 one skill is push. We commonly call that drive for results, right? And the other skill we call pull, and that skill we call inspires and motivates others, right? Mm. Yeah. Again, what we're trying to do is is get more out of people, is get work done, and we have these two ways of doing it, push and pull, right? Mm -hmm. Push yeah. and pull. Now, here's the data. 110,000 leaders. When you look at which of those skills people do better, 76% of the people in our database out of 110,000 leaders across the globe, across the globe, are better, well, you tell me, which one are they better at, pushing or pulling? I'd be guessing uh, pushing. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Yeah, absolutely. Because, because, you know, we, most of us grew up with our parents telling us, no, <laughs> stop that. <laughs> okay. I mean, and, and, you know, they're just trying to save our lives, but oh my gosh. But I mean, you know, we from a young age, and 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 so seventy six percent of the people are better at pushing. Only twenty two percent are better at pulling. Uh, and and yet, when we look at the data, what we find is oh, actually, let me tell you another interesting fact. We we measure effectiveness, you know, on on our assessments, and then we measure importance. How important are these two skills? Pulling 
is rated as the number one most important skill. Wow. Okay. Yeah. The top of the heap. And and pushing is number six. Number <laughs> six is important. Yeah. It's still very important. Out of out of out of 19, it's number six. So so it's still pretty important. Except for bosses, it's number one. But 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 overall, by all the raters, uh, polling is considered so. And and when we rate the effectiveness on these two, uh, uh, inspires and motivates others is rated the the number nineteen out of nineteen. It's the last. It's the lowest rated behavior. It's the thing that that leaders are worst at. Uh, and drive for results is up in the five or six area. Okay. So th- this interesting behavior, I, and I, I'm just fascinated by this. We wrote a, a book on this called The Inspiring Leader. And and th- this whole idea that, that and, and, and what's fascinating is, is when I talk to people about this and they, they'd say, yeah, inspiring. Um, you know, the inspiring is not you know so so pushing is getting it's telling people what to do and inspiring is getting people to believe that they ought to do something <laughs> right it's yeah it's this yeah, opposite yeah. thing you know it, it it's it, it's creating in them the desire to do something not not forcing them to do something yeah but it and and when we looked at the data and i looked at some data today where I looked at people that were low on push and, you know, quartiles, bottom quartiles. So there was low, low, low on push, low on pull. Yeah. And, of course, they got very low ratings on, on, on um, you know, the, the, the direct reports were rating whether the organization would be successful and whether they loved the organization, whether they were, they were satisfied with it. So they were yeah. in the 20th percentile. If, if they were good at one but not the other, they went up to about the 30th percentile or, you know, percent of, of people responding. But if they were, if they were good, high on push and high on pull, they were at the 60th. Uh, in terms of the percent of people that mark five on a five point scale on these satisfaction ratings, which is really good. Yeah. Um, the idea here is to not quit pushing. Pushing is important. When you, when you set a deadline, when you say, uh, Bokeman, I'm going to call you at this time, you better be there. You know, it helps me to be there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? that's, yeah. Now, I, I mean, when you say you're, you're responsible this is your deal. You've got to do this. Uh, that that's a push, you know, and, and that that works. Yeah. But having leaders learn how to pull is an it, it's it's really critical, and yet people are baffled. I mean, completely baffled as to how they can be more inspiring. What can you do to be inspiring? Uh, you know, and most people think it's like getting up and giving this speech and, you know, and, they'll, and, and you know, people will cry and, and stuff. And would, would you like to learn, you know, the secrets of how to be more inspiring? Jonah, would that help? Desperately. <laughs> I'm sure listeners were, are well, on the me, edge of their feet. So, <laughs> so let me tell you how we figure this stuff out. Yeah, please. So we have this database. Uh, 
we've all heard about artificial intelligence, right? And the idea of artificial intelligence is if you have enough data, you can figure anything out, right? Mm, Yeah. And that's what we did. I mean, we had all this data. We have, we have over a million assessments, you know, 100,000, 360 degree feedback. And, and so what we did is we looked at people that were good at inspiring and we said, were there some other behaviors that seem to help them to be good at inspiring. Yeah. And there's six behaviors. The first one is establishing stretch goals. Now, uh, Johnny, you have accomplished some really difficult things in your life, right? Mm-hmm. How did you feel when you accomplished something that was really hard? <laughs> I mean, there was like, oh man, that was, that was so difficult, right? Yeah, I remember when my my son and I we climbed the highest mountain in Utah, and it was wow. just it about killed me. Yeah, but when I sat on top of that mountain, you know, I thought I I was you know, yeah. and and what's interesting is if if leaders can get their employees to do something hard, then the employees will will realize that they matter, that they make a difference that they can do hard things, they will be inspired. It's, it's just this funny thing. It's like the, the way you become more inspiring is to get people to do hard things. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's so it's, counterintuitive. But um, it makes perfect sense when you put it in the context of, yeah, having, having achieved something really a stretch goal for yourself. You're right. It's incredibly satisfying and, and inspirational. And so many leaders out there, they try to protect their people from doing hard things when that's the thing that would make them inspiring. The second yeah. thing is communicates. We mess up our communication all the time. We're too lazy at it. It's the number one skill you can improve on. And yeah. yet people just do a crappy job. They don't <laughs> communicate well. They don't communicate with energy and enthusiasm. They don't bring the energy to those communications. And when you do, it's inspiring. Yes. Uh, the third thing is strategic perspective. Mm. Um, I, 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 a few years ago, I went on a hike to the highest mountain in Utah. I was telling you about this and with my son and I. And, and you know, when I think back on that hike, I spent most of the time looking at my feet. <laughs> because you know when you go on a long hike you, you could trip and so you you got a backpack and you're looking down at your feet what am i not looking at i'm not looking at that mountain i'm not looking at that goal mm. and when i go in organizations you know what people are looking at their feet <laughs> they're thinking about their to-do list what they're not thinking about is this you know where we're headed how we get there and what it's going to be when we get there. They're, they're not thinking about that end goal. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's not very inspiring to look at your feet. <laughs> so leaders who are really a broken record on keeping, reminding their people where we're headed and why we're going there are more inspiring. Uh, the, the fourth one is collaboration and teamwork. 
Now, have you ever been part of a great team, a, a team where you loved coming to work, a team where everybody was working hard and you, you were just trying to keep up with the rest of the group and you felt yeah. accepted, you felt welcomed, you felt like you were one of the one of the players, one of the first string? Yeah. Have you ever yeah. been on the team from hell? <laughs> 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 I mean, you know, you the difference is, I mean, that team from hell is like everybody's fighting and people are bitching at each other and you're just, ah, <laughs> you know, you don't want to go to work. Yeah, you're right. I'll tell you, if you can build a great team, that's inspiring. Uh, the fifth thing is, is developing others. Uh, think of somebody who's taken you under their wing, taught you a new skill, helped you learn something really was a mentor or coach, you know, that you, you, you really feel great about that person. I mean, if you want to really inspire somebody, teach them a new skill, help them learn a new skill. Yeah. Yeah. And the last one is innovation. Mm. Find a better, quicker way to do crappy work. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, true. Yeah, I, yeah, that's that's so good. Innovation as part of um, uh, becoming an inspiring leader. That's that's great. I love that joke. Yeah, it is. So those are the those those are what we call the strength builders, um, and and that's that's how we help people to to uh, you know to change as leaders is we give them these insights into how they can build a strength. So that's, that's our kind of our technology. Yeah. Fantastic. I can, I can see why, uh, your work is, is so effective and, um, it's just, I I'm enjoying this so much. I've got two, two more quick questions before we land. Um, and, uh, unfortunately wrap up, uh, because I, I have, um, yeah, I, I'm just enjoying this so much. Uh, so first one is the flip side of my previous question. Is there anything that's come out of your research that you have uh, been surprised at how overrated it is? So, you know, you talked about, um, uh, I guess, in, being inspirational as, as being so important or being an inspiring leader. Is there anything that, that you see, uh, particularly now for leaders, that people talk a lot about or people strive for that actually – in your experience and in your research is really doesn't make a difference to great leadership. Oh, it's, it, it's, it's, I don't know. There's hard, hard to say. Um, the, the, um, it's, it's interesting. Um, John, we did, we did some research on, males versus females mm. and um you're gonna love this <laughs> uh so we have like 50 or 60,000 men 24 30,000 women mm -hmm. we compare their overall leadership effectiveness and we find that overall women rate higher than men mm -hmm. in terms of their leadership effectiveness uh, and, <laughs> and, and then when we look at the competencies and we, you know, looked at 16 competencies, women 
were better at 13 of these competencies. Men were better at two. Wow. So here's, here's what was overlooked on that. So I, I should say that now I'm so excited that women, uh, when you look at it, because this is something we all really knew, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah yes. <laughs> we all knew it, but we, we didn't want to admit it. And, and we are very proud of this fact that, that we brought this forward because, um, I mean, I keep telling people if you're if you have two candidates, one's a male and one's a female, and they both look equal to you. If you want to bet who's going to do who's going to do a better job, I'd bet on the woman <laughs> because on average they 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 score better than men. Uh, but the the underrated research are the two competencies that men tend to be better at. And one is technical professional expertise. In other words, we're geeks. Yeah. And the last one, the, the one that's the biggest difference, and this is interesting, is strategic perspective. And, and that's, that's uh, we don't know why this is true. We don't know why, why uh, women uh, don't, don't uh, do as well there. Um, it's kind of a mystery to me, uh, and 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 we don't really understand why why men are better at strategic perspective. But the data is really clear, and the more we cut it, and we keep doing these these experiments where we randomly select you know fifty percent of the sample and then twenty five percent of the sample, and we get the same results. So yeah. it's really consistent in all our research. So. That's that's kind of a an interesting anecdote. I don't. That know. is. I, um, <laughs> I think there'll be uh, there'll be a lot of. Uh, <laughs> I think there might be a lot of uh, female uh, leaders, a lot of women uh, listening who who might just uh, <clears throat> you know say have a listen to this. You know, you, you know, to uh, to someone in their world, it's true, isn't it? But I like what you said that we all that we all knew it was true anyway. Love it. Um, well, they, and- they, they were better at, they, remember, they're better at 13. That's just the one. <laughs> the two yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, I love that. Yes. 13 out of 16. Okay. That's fantastic, Joe. And uh, so if you're sitting over a coffee with one of our listeners who, let's say they're a young leader and they said, Joe, what's one thing I should I should focus on? If I could only focus on one thing, if I could only do one thing, if I could only use one tool you know, if, if I had to pick one thing to really sort of double down on to to really grow into the best leader I can be, what what might you say? So, Jono, we've looked at our data where we assess leaders uh, across the globe. And we find that the average age of people that, that go through a 360 and get feedback on their leadership effectiveness is mm. 46, 46 wow. years old. Yeah. Which seems ridiculous to me. I mean, people have been in the workforce for over 20 years and they didn't, they, they, this is the first time they've got a, a really accurate assessment. My advice to this young leader would be go beg, don't do anything and get an assessment 
of your leadership effectiveness. Mm. Because the big problem with all leaders is they don't know what their strengths are and what their weaknesses are. Yeah, you're right. And and you know, I, I mean I could I could give you a few hints and say, well do this, do that. But if I were, you know, I think if a leader can get an assessment and, and we're getting a lot of our clients to start with their individual contributors to do 180 degree feedback where they're they're giving people feedback earlier in their career. If you think about I mean, you know, people wait till they need a good leader to start training a good leader. And good grief, why do we wait so long to develop leaders? So I would say, you know, get get people assessed earlier and then, you know, people can change. People can improve. People can can go from a poor leader to a good leader to a great leader. They they just need the direction and they need to know where they stand as a leader and how they're doing. That's so that, really wonderful that advice. Suggestion. I think that is fantastic advice. And uh, uh, where can people find you, Joe? And and um, and do you have uh, interested as well? Do you have a time frame yet in terms of this uh, new book coming out that I know a lot of listeners will be uh, really excited to read around trust? Yeah, the book will be out in June uh, if there's any paper left in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the publisher's calling me up going, we're out of paper. <laughs> I said, well, good. We don't have a date till June. But <laughs> so that's kind of funny. But you, you could always get the ebook, so that would do it. So it's yeah, out yeah. in June. It's called The Trifecta of Trust. Uh, the firm is Zinger Folkman. Yep. Uh, you can go to our website, zingerfolkman.com. You can also look at our podcast uh, called The 90th Percentile. And uh, you can, uh, Jack and I uh, both uh, have episodes on that podcast. We do monthly webinars that uh, you're welcome to tune into. And and the good news for for you Aussies is is that we record it so you can listen to it after because the time zones just don't work out well for you. But we we love you anyway. So thank you. You can listen to the recording. I have tried um, to tune in so, for a few yeah. things you said, uh, in certain regions and you and you go, this sounds great. Look at the time, convert it, 2 a.m. Yeah, that would have to oh, be yeah. pretty yeah, amazing just, to get up at. It never works. No, no, so, so that's it's, wonderful. It's 9 o'clock my time, so. <laughs> yeah, you're very Anyway, fine. well, thank you so much. This has been a delight for me and I appreciate your your interviews and this has been fun. Yeah, did you have um, did you have any final thoughts for listeners? Is there anything you wanted to to leave them with before we, I guess, as we wrap up? You know, I I I, I never leave Australia without just thinking what a great what a great place. Mm. And and you know, in addition to the incredible beauty uh, of the country, mm. but it's the people. I mean, it's. What I mean, just such wonderful people and the culture. I just, I you know, it's hard for me to go home. The U.S. is not as nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry, we're just not there. 
<laughs> well, when you um, when we can all travel again, um, it would be great. Uh, you the invitation is definitely there for you to come up north to Brisbane, and it's uh, it's beautiful up here. And um, hopefully, we can have the chance to to sit down face to face at some point. And um, just to just to finish, I just want to thank our listeners and uh, do make sure. Uh, I, I know many of you are going to listen back to this again because there's just been so much rich content from uh, from Joe. And uh, and don't forget, we also have a couple of other podcasts, the John O'White Leadership Podcast, where I just give you content around leadership and the Leadership Question of the Day podcast as well. Uh, but to finish, I just want to say once again a massive thank you for the generosity of time and uh, for so, so much wisdom today. Uh, Joe, it's, it's just been wonderful. Thank you. Thanks, Jono. Appreciate it. Bye. Well, I hope today's leadership question has helped you in your leadership and put a stone in your shoe. That's what I, that's what I love to say is that my role, I believe, working with leaders is about putting a stone in your shoe. So something you were really comfortable with, now you're walking a little bit uncomfortably going, mm, is there a better way to do this? How do I handle this? And uh, that's because no growth is comfortable. So uh, I hope that's okay. I appreciate you taking the time. I don't take it lightly. And if you are just joining us, then make sure you check out our website, consultclarity.org, consultclarity.org. We have so much free content on there for you, including the seven questions on leadership series. So more than 1,500 leaders around the world, different roles, different sectors have filled out the seven questions on leadership in-depth answers on how they lead, what they've found most challenging, how they structure their time, what book or books have been most significant for them. There is so much gold on there. You could go and and basically live in that part of our website for a few weeks, I think. Uh, So make sure you go and check that out. It's free. And hey, we would love to interview you for our uh, seven questions on leadership series. Your leadership, based on your, uh, you know, your context, your life, and your experience, I believe that you can bring something that other leaders can learn from. I, I truly do, and so it's completely free to get involved. It's a great way to give back if you're loving this content, and you can do that by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and then click on the page fill out the form to express your interest and we can get you going to fill out the seven questions on leadership we also have a free resource on our website it's right at the top consultclarity.org on our homepage, and it's called the leadership survival guide it's a 57 page ebook with interviews uh, from 10 world-class leaders and it's right there for you to download it's completely free and awesome resource it's very popular so check that out We also have a daily email, and I know that our more than 15,000 leaders who subscribe get a lot of value from that. We highlight the best content from our blogs, from our podcasts, uh, from our books and books we're reading. It also gives you exclusive and limited access and early access to our masterclasses and workshops. So uh, I really try to make it something as helpful and as valuable as possible. That's my commitment. And so go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe if you're interested in all things leadership and you can become part of that community. 
Now, my gift to you with everything we're doing, particularly with this podcast, The Leadership Question of the Day, is to work really hard to provide uh, the best leadership content to invest in you and your leadership. Your gift to me would be this. If you're finding this helpful, if this helps you in your leadership, then there is something you can do that makes a massive difference, and that is to write a review or rate our content. Wherever you're listening or watching, rate our content, write a review, make sure you subscribe or follow. It might seem small to you to do that, but it adds up and it helps us to help more leaders become the best they can be. It also means a lot to me personally whenever I see you sharing our content, so thank you so much for that. If you do share it on social media, then look for me, John O'White, and try to tag me and look for clarity and tag us. And I promise we are always looking for content shared by our community. When people share our content, we're looking to engage with you. And we, you know, there's also a chance that we may actually share what you write uh, as a, as a post with our with our followers. So if you do that, there's a chance you'll be shared as well. Last of all, you can check out my book called Step Up or Step Out: How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because more than 50% of the leaders I coach, 50% of the sessions, sorry, where I coach leaders, this comes up again and again and again. And it's leaders saying, Jono, how do I deal with this difficult person? Or how do I deal with this person? And I'm finding it so difficult. We're just on a different wavelength. And that's because difficult conversations are uh, difficult. And I find this is one of the biggest challenges for leaders in the world today. And that's where Step Up or Step Out is a three-step process to help you deal well with difficult people. Uh, I really believe it's a book that can help you in your leadership. So go and check that out. It's on Amazon, Step Up or Step Out, John O'White, if you just look that up. Or go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and you can get it there. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode of the Leadership Question of the Day next time. I hope today has helped you take another step towards becoming everything you're meant to be. We'll see you next time.